okay, we're going to go to the store. I need you to be a good listener, okay? That means being close to me. That means holding onto the cart, not running off, all right? And if you're a good boy at the store today, then uh, you'll get a little donut when we're done, all right? Can we do that? Okay, let's go. Oh, yep, that is a cool toy. Nope, we're not here for toys. Can you put that toy back, please? Put the toy back. Oh, don't throw it on the ground, please. Don't, don't throw it down. Put the toy back nicely. Can you come back to me, please? Can you come back to me, please? Let's go shopping. Do you want to get a donut? Do you want to get that donut? I need you to come back to me, please. Okay, I'll come get you. Nope, don't run away from me. Don't run away. Come back, please. Okay, now I'm going to have to count to three. I need you to come. If I get to three, then you're not going to get your donut. One, two, don't run away. Three, okay, now we can't have a donut. Oh, please don't scream. Let me go. Don't hit me. Now we need to go to timeout. You can't hit with your hands. Okay, now let's try again. Hey, buddy, how's your lunch? Yeah, you guys like those chicken nuggets? What do you mean it's yucky? That's what you asked for. Yucky? That's what you wanted. You wanted chicken nuggets? Don't, don't spit it out of your mouth. Don't spit it out of your don't, don't put your plate on the ground. Oh, these are just a couple of the experiences I've had of fatherhood, right? We've all been there. Where we get to experience the joy of two to five-year-olds. Most of you can relate to me. Uh, and this is kind of where Israel's at in their, in their nationhood. They're figuring themselves out as far as following God. There's a whole bunch of boundary testing, a whole bu- a bunch of button pushing, a whole bunch of I'm not sure I believe you, a whole lot of no's. And my fa- personal favorite is just do the exact opposite of what I asked you to do right? So we're in this season of blessings and rebellion in the book of Numbers, and really it looks more like that. Blessings and a lot of rebellion. As we get into Numbers 11, and we lead to uh, Numbers 11 through 25 are known by scholars as the rebellion chapters. We're about to get in a whole bunch of issues of Israel not listening over and over and over. It's been God since the beginning offering blessing, offering. Here's this, good stuff, good stuff, good stuff. You just need to do this, and the people are, no, no thanks, no thanks, constantly rebelling uh, against God. And so to give us some context of where we've been and where we're going, uh, Exodus, the book that we were in a little bit ago, took us from slavery, that was God leading Israel out of slavery to Mount Sinai with this idea of in the future, there's a promised land I'm going to give you. Okay, so we moved from slavery, free from slavery, to Mount Sinai. The book of Leviticus is on Mount Sinai where we covered all the rites of the tabernacle, priesthood, uh, ritual sacrificial system, all that kind of stuff. And then we get to Numbers and we're moving from Mount Sinai to the promised land. This is what we've been waiting for as readers for a long time back in Genesis 15. That felt like ages ago. Do you guys remember Genesis 15? That was like months ago. And we've been going through Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, right? Here's the promise, though. On that day, the Lord made a covenant with Abram and said, To your descendants, I give this land from the Wadi of Egypt to the great river, the Euphrates, the land of the Kenites, Kenizzites, Cadmonites, Hittites, Perizzites, Raphites, Amorites, Canaanites, Girgashites, and Jebusites. This was a promise to Abram. For us, months ago, for the people of Israel, it was about 500 years prior. They've been waiting for this promise for a long time. And now I get the privilege of preaching the send-off, right? From Sinai to the promised land, it's like we're almost there. We've been waiting and waiting and waiting since Genesis 15 for this promised land. What will happen, right? 
All right, so on the 20th day of the second month of the second year, the cloud lifted from above the tabernacle of the covenant law. Then the Israelites set out from the desert of Sinai and traveled from place to place until the cloud came to rest in the desert of Paran. Here we go. Family of grace, put yourself here. You've been on Mount Sinai. God's been coming in clouds, talking to Moses, leading you, and you're about to go to the promised land. And uh, Lisa, two weeks ago, covered God's organization of the camp, where it's like, you are here, 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 and we make this square protecting the Ark of the Covenant, where the presence of God is in it of itself. The cloud's going to ascend. We follow it. The cloud's going to descend. Such a cool, miraculous thing. Every single day, we're finally going for it. Right, And then there's a whole bunch of narrative about that. then they did this, and they, they got up, and then these people got up, and 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 then these people got up, and finally these people got up. All right? Now we get this little side story where it says, Now Moses said to Hobab, son of Raul the Midianite, which is the same person as Jethro. So Hobab is Jethro's son. is Moses' brother-in-law, uh, which, yeah, Raul is Moses' father-in-law. We're talking about Hobab, who is his son. Um, he's, Moses is trying to get him to stay. We're setting out for the place about which Yahweh said, I will give it to you. Come with us and we will treat you well for the Lord has promised good things to Israel. Like Moses gets it. Moses gets the blessing part of the blessings and rebellion that we've been going through. He knows there's a promise coming. He is on board. He's like, hey, you should come with us because even if you're not an Israelite, if you're with us, you're going to get the good stuff too. Moses gets it. And that's going to be important. Whoa, did I just go back to the beginning? There we go. So, oh, what happened? What is, do you, do you see what's going on? Oh, okay, there we go. He answered, no, I will not go. I am going back to my own land and my own people. But Moses said, please do not leave us. You know where we should camp in the wilderness, and you can be our eyes. If you come with us, we will share with you whatever good things the Lord gives us, right? Here's, again, this is two times now. I think I just messed up my slide. There we go. Two times in two different passages. He's like, hey, there's good things coming. There's good things coming. Family of grace, there's good things coming, right? We're waiting for a promised land. There's good things coming. Now, quick little side note. This has nothing to do with the main point, but just be aware of Moses' practical wisdom, right? Here's a little bit of practical wisdom for you guys. It is okay in a spiritual sense, to trust experts who have been there and done it before you, right? We don't, uh, we don't need to over-sensualize God speaking to us. Here's an example of Moses being literally led by a cloud, of, uh, cloud and fire by God, and he's like, you know what would be really wise is if this guy who knows the wilderness just kind of came with us. That'd be really good if he did that. And it's not like God's like, is my cloud and fire not good enough for you? Like he's like, yes, use practical wisdom. We do it with our car. We take it to a car expert. We do it with some, you know, tech batting technique. We look at an expert. But for some reason, when it comes to God, we think that it has to be this miraculous, like God speak to me in this audible voice, right? Use the people. God uses people and scriptures. It is completely entirely okay to ask one another, hey, you've been in this situation before. How should I do this? You know, uh, Jordan covered that last week about being led by the spirit. And to not over-sensationalize uh, over it, but you, that we have scriptures and we have people and we use those things. Anyway, that's completely to the side. All right, so here they go. 
They sat out from the mountain of the Lord and traveled for three days. The ark of the covenant of the Lord went before them during three days to find a place to rest. The cloud of the Lord was over them by day when they set out from the camp. Now, quick little side story. This guy, Hobab, is mentioned twice, so he ends up following him. Here he is in Judges 1.16. The descendants of Moses' father-in-law, the Kenite, went up from the city of Palms with people of Judah to live among the inhabitants of the desert of Judah in the Negev near Arad. Kind of cool. Here Moses is inviting him along. Hey, come be blessed. And then several books later we see, hey, God was faithful to that guy for helping them out in the wilderness. And there he is again. I just thought that was kind of neat. There's a little freebie. All right, <clears throat> continuing on in Numbers. Whenever the ark set out, Moses said, rise up, Lord. May your people be scattered. May your fl- foes flee before you. And whenever it came to rest, he said, return, Lord, to the countless thousands of Israel. I mean, think about that experience. Right? Every time the cloud ascends, okay, rise up, Lord. May your enemies be scattered. May your foes flee before you. Here we go, further, closer, closer to the promised land. And then every time it comes down, all right, God, come back, be with us to the countless number of Israel who you have called to be your people. What a cool experience. Right? What a neat experience. So here we go. And the rebellions begin. Right, if you're if you're any point in a, uh, if you know kind of the Torah, here we are at we've been through Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, and Numbers, and it's like all right now you're heading to the Promised Land. Well, we still have like 34 chapters of Numbers and a whole book of Deuteronomy, and they still don't get to the Promised Land. So something goes horribly wrong, and this is the beginning of that. All right, they literally are leaving Sinai, going to the place, and it goes south. Now, the people complained about their hardships in their hearing of the Lord, and when he heard them, his anger was aroused. For me, I get the picture of, like, we're going on an eight-hour trip to this wonderful destination, like Disneyland or whatever, and we get in the car, and two minutes into the drive, the kids are like, so-and-so hit me. It's too hot in here. Are we there yet? He took my switch. Can we... Can, can we turn the heat down? I want to open the windows. Can we change the song? And God's like, I'm going to turn this car around right now, right? We're going to turn it. And I, I never understood that as a kid. It's like, why do they threaten to turn the car around? And then as an adult, I'm like, I want to turn this car around, right? And thank goodness that God doesn't turn the car around. Instead, God just drives in circles for a long time until they fall asleep. If <laughs> you... <laughs> And then they get to their destination. If you don't know why that's funny, they're about to go into the wilderness for 40 years until they die, until the faithless generation dies, and then they get to go to the promised land, right? So anyway, uh, God gets angry. And then fire from the Lord burned among them and consumed them of the outskirts of the camp. So right away they start complaining and God gets mad. When the people cried out to Moses, he prayed to the Lord, and the fire died down. Okay, keep in mind, whenever Mo- Moses is an archetype of Christ, he is picturing uh, how Christ intercedes for us, how he is praying for our behalf, praying for good, even when we or the people of Israel don't deserve it. We don't deserve it. They just, just complained after all the miraculous things that they've been through, after all the preparation on Sinai. They complain right away, and God's like, I'm going to punish you guys. Moses still is the interceder that says, cries out, pray, God, don't have mercy on us, and God does. That is Jesus for us, okay? All right, now we move on to the second rebellion, not much further in. The rabble, everybody say rabble, rabble. This this thing's called a a hapax legamenon, 
It's the only time this word appears in scripture, kind of like the word hapax levigamanon in your life, right? It's the only time that you're ever going to hear that. Um, it's the only time, but it means like riffraff or mixed multitude or bunch of vagabonds. So there was like a group inside the whole bunch of the Israelites. There was enough people to be called a rabble or a riffraff of them where they start complaining and they begin to crave other food. And again, the Israelites started wailing and said, if only we had meat to eat. We remember the fish we ate in Egypt at no cost. Hang on. At no cost? You guys remember, you remember that you were like enslaved and had harsh labor and had like bricks you had to, you remember that? Do you remember that like you had to kill your firstborn son because the Egypt was scared? Do you remember having to kill your kids? Do you remember that? Like no cost? Like they're so focused on their own misery, they've forgotten the horrible thing that God set them from. And they're, they're so focused on their immediate circumstances, they've just completely spaced. Right? It, there was a huge cost of their, of their servitude in Egypt. And, but they're like, oh, the cucumbers and the melons, the leeks, the onions and garlic, their mouth is salivating, thinking about all the good things. But now we've lost our appetite. We never see anything but this manna. There's nothing else but manna. If you don't remember, this is what manna was like. The manna was like coriander seed, looked like resin. The people went out. It would, it would miraculously appear every morning on the ground. They would go and gather it, and then they would ground it in a hand mill or crush it in a mortar, and they could cook it in a pot or made it into loaves, and it tasted like something made with olive oil. When the dew settled on the camp at night, the manna also came down. Okay, so on the one hand, on the one hand, let's be fair, like the same meal, three times a day for a year, I can get it, right? Like several years ago when I was in college, there was a super trendy book called uh, from Jen Hatmaker called Seven, and it's where you only pick like seven foods to eat for seven days. And I think my foods were like chicken, rice, eggs, peanut butter, apples, I don't remember. And that was only seven days. I had seven foods and that's it. And after seven days, like I didn't want to look at an egg or chicken or rice for a long time. Like to be fair, I can't imagine eating the same exact thing for over a year. But, but this is a miraculous type of food, right? That's what they're losing sight of. They're losing sight of this is miraculous provision. And instead they're focusing so much on their own little circumstances that they're losing sight of the miracle. It'd be like you're lost in the wilderness and you're like, I'm going to die. But somehow every morning you wake up, there's Hawaiian sweet rolls on the ground to sustain you for the day. Where like on one hand, you're like, I'm kind of tired of Hawaiian sweet rolls. On the other hand, it's a miracle. <laughs> it's a complete miracle. Don't lose sight of the miracle, right? All right. So Moses heard... Uh, Moses heard the people of every family wailing at the entrance to their tents. The Lord became exceedingly angry, and Moses was troubled. He asked the Lord, why have you brought this trouble on your servant? What have I done to displease you, that you put the burden of all these people on me? Did I conceive all these people? Did I give them birth? Why did you tell me to carry them in my arms as a nurse carries an infant to the land you promised on an oath to their ancestors? Where can I get meat for all these people? They keep wailing to me. Give us meat to eat. Now, oh wait, I think it keeps going. Yeah, I cannot carry all these people by myself. The burden is too heavy for me. If this is how you are going to treat me, please go ahead and kill me. If I have found favor in your eyes, do not let me face my own ruin. 
All right, family of grace, goal for us is never get Jordan to this point, right? Where Jordan is like, God, just go ahead and take me away. <laughs> Please, I can't deal with this church group anymore, right? Moses is in a hard spot, right? And it's something to think about. Is like everybody wants Moses' glory. Everybody wants Moses', you know, he, he was there when Jesus transcended into his form. It was Elijah on one hand and Moses on the other hand. Like he's such a cool guy. He's a hero of the faith. Look what he had to deal with on a daily basis. Literally millions of complainers. People who constantly, constantly were dissatisfied with going to the point where he would rather die than deal with it. Right? He did not have an easy ministry. It almost reminds me of this verse that's like, instead, whoever wants to be great among you must be your servant, and whoever wants to be first among you must be your slave. Like, Moses is fantastic, but who wants to go through what Moses had to go through to get what Moses, the glory that Moses gets, right? Keep that in mind when you're thinking about uh, what you want from God. There's a, there, good, <laughs> greatness in the eyes of God goes hand in hand with suffering and trouble and constant faith being tested, all right? And the Lord, so, so God's going to solve the problem for Moses, all right? He's gonna, first, we're going to deal with your problem, and then we're going to deal with this problem. So bring me 70 of Israel's elders who are known to you as leaders and officials among the people. Have them come to the meeting that they may stand there with you. I will come down and speak with you there, and I will take some of the power of the spirit that is on you and put it on them. They will share the burden of the people with you so that you will not have to carry it alone. Right? Moses, we're going to solve your problem. There's one of you. We're going to make 70 of you. I'm going to make them little mini yous so they can help govern. Does that sound familiar? Uh, oh, did I? Oh, anyway, it sounds really familiar like Jesus sending out the 70 disciples where he's like, hey, I'm going to make little mini versions of you. Go out and do this thing here. Right? It just, it's the same pattern. There's one. There's a bunch. We're little minis. Just a reminder, we're, we are little mini Christs. Like God is setting up this picture. Okay? Um, sorry about this. All right, now he's going to deal with the other problem. Tell the people, consecrate yourselves in preparation for tomorrow when you will eat meat. The Lord heard you when you wailed, if only we had meat to eat. We were better off in Egypt. Now the Lord will give you meat, and you will eat it. You will not eat it for just one day or two days, five, ten, or twenty days, but for a whole month until it comes out of your nostrils and you loathe it because you have rejected the Lord. Now God here reveals their real issue. Right? It wasn't necessarily the complaining. It wasn't necessarily the dissatisfaction with their food. The real issue was those were signs of this. You've rejected God. God freed you from slavery and you said, I would rather, you know, I make this deal. Yes, you'll be my God. I'll be your people. I'd rather you not be my God anymore. That's what they're really saying. I want to go back to slavery. Right? Be like one of us experiencing the love of Jesus, saying, I want to follow you. And then we realize, oh, there's like a, a different way to live in Jesus. I mean, I can't just like have sex with whoever I want to. I can't get drunk anymore. I have to respond in kindness. I have to, uh, no thanks. Remember when I used to be able to do that fun stuff, not, not seeing the point at all, right? It'd be kind of like, it's like that. It's like, why, why would you want to go back into slavery when you're freed in God? They're, they're not seeing it. For us, it's easy to see. We're like, you guys are totally missing it. But if you put yourself there, they're young, young people in, in God. They've only been following God for a year and a month. They're just figuring this out of what it means to kind of 
his rules, his way, submit their lives, right? But God knows, it's because you're rejecting me. That's the problem, all right? You've rejected me, who's among you? And I have wailed before him saying, why did we ever leave Egypt? I remember uh, Francis Chan giving a sermon where he talked about his, <clears throat> his kids eating oatmeal in the morning. And one of them complains about oatmeal. And he goes, did you just complain about mom's oatmeal? Did you just complain about God's mom's oatmeal? Guess what you're having every morning for breakfast, or for, bref- for breakfast every morning for the next week? You're having oatmeal because you're going to learn to be grateful for what you have, right? This is kind of what God's doing. Oh, you guys want meat, do you? You guys are rejecting me? You want meat? Okay, you're going to get meat. So much meat, it's going to come out your nostrils, and you're going to loathe it, right? There's a difference between what Moses has done and what the people of God have done in complaining. There's a difference between being concerned which our book of Psalms is completely full of legitimate concerns. God, I'm unhappy. God, I'm scared. God, I'm frustrated. God, I feel this way. I feel that way. And there's a difference of, like, nevertheless, I'll trust you, but I'm being honest with you about how I feel right now, right? That's different than, oh my gosh, I hate my job so much. My boss is a jerk. My coworkers are lazy. Do you see the difference? There's a difference in complaining and rejecting the things that you have that are good, and then bringing a concern to God. So I want to make sure we're clear. It doesn't mean we can't bring concerns to God. We can bring concerns to God. But there's a difference between that, the complaining of you're not doing a good enough job, God, versus a concern. All right? And then Moses said, Here I am among 600,000 men on foot, not including men and women and children. So we're looking at a million plus people. And you say, I will give them meat to eat for a whole month? Would they have enough if flocks and herds were slaughtered for them? Would they have enough if all the fish in the sea were caught for them? Moses is like, that's a tall order. Kind of reminds me of this story in the New Testament, right? Jesus looks up and saw a great cow coming towards him, and he said to Philip, hey, where are we going to get bread for all these people? And he asked us to test him, and Philip's like, it would take a half a year's wage to get enough bread to feed these people, right? It's like, oh. The New Testament is super cool, but it's just echoing what's already been said in the Old Testament. We've already got to experience all these cool stories. If you think the Old Testament is boring, just keep, keep reading it and keep praying. Like pretty much everything that's in the New Testament that we love is in the Old Testament. It's just, a, it's just spun in a different way in a different time. All right, so Lord answered Moses, is the Lord's arm too short? You think I can't reach? You think I can't reach how to feed a million people? Made the world from nothing. Now you will see whether or not what I say will come true to you. You're going you're, you're, you're gonna to witness my power. You think, you think my arms are too small? So Moses went out and told the people what, uh, what the Lord had said. He brought them together, 70 of the elders, and they had them stand around the tent. Then the Lord came down in the cloud and spoke with them. He took some of the power of the Spirit that was on him and put it on the 70 elders. And when the Spirit rested on them, they prophesied but did not do so again. Okay, they're making, he's making little Moses miraculous prophecy, and then it's done with that. However, two men, whose name were Eldad and Medad, had remained in the camp. They were listed among the elders, but did not go out to the tent. Yet the Spirit also rested on them, and they prophesied in the camp. A young man ran out and told Moses, Eldad and Medad are prophesying in the camp. Ah. And Joshua, son of Nun, who had been Moses' aide since youth, spoke up and said, Moses, my Lord, stop them. Don't let them prophesy in the camp. And Moses is like, are you guys jealous? For me, when I'm not even jealous for me, I wish all of you guys could prophesy. 
I wish all of you had the Spirit. Then I wouldn't have to do what I do, right? I wish all of you could do this. And Moses and the elders of Israel returned to the camp. It also reminds me of this New Testament story, right? Master, said John, we saw someone driving out demons in your name. We tried to stop him because he's not one of us. And Jesus is like, don't stop him. <laughs> he's on our team. What do you mean? Right? It's just the same. Anyway, I just thought it was fascinating that there's so much repetition in the New Testament of like, this, I've heard this story before. Hmm, it's pretty cool. Now a wind went up from the Lord and drove quail in from the sea. It scattered them up to two cubits deep all around. That's like uh, three feet deep worth of quail. A, cu- a cubit's like a foot and a half about. It's like it's from, from fingertip to elbow. Um, all day and night. So there's two cubits of quail on the ground. Everybody went out and gathered quail. No one gathered less than ten omers. There's like, it's a ton. A ton. And then they spread them out all around the camp. It's like all day gathering. Insane amount. Where it would be coming out of your nostrils. Right? But while the meat was still between their teeth. This is the riffraff who was complaining. They're the ones who were like, finally. Uh, the meat is still between their teeth. Before it could be consumed, the anger of the Lord burned against the people. And he struck them with a severe plague. So not everybody. Literally everybody dies. It's that riffraff, the the mixed multitude who was complaining, the eager ones who were like, I can't wait to disobey God, the, that group, he kills them instantly, all right? Therefore, the place was named Kibroth Hatavah because they buried the people who had craved other food. From Kibroth Hatavah, the people traveled to Hazroth and stayed there, all right? Okay, last one. You guys with me? You okay? One more rebellion to go, all right, and then we'll, then we'll get the theme going here. Miriam and Aaron. So not only is it the riffraff, not only is it the Israelites, it's the number two and three. Like the number two and three of the camp. It's Moses and then Aaron and Midian. They're the leaders. They talk against Moses because, because of his Cushite wife, for he had married a Cushite. Has the Lord spoken only through Moses? Keep in mind, they're his older siblings. So in their mind, they're the older ones, they're the ones, right? But God works differently. God used Moses, the meek younger brother. Uh, Has the Lord spoken only through Moses, they asked? Hasn't he also spoken through us? And the Lord heard this. Now Moses was a very humble man, more humble than anyone else on the face of the earth. And he needs a little help. He's not going to go defend himself, even though it's like, oh, I thought I was God's chosen. He's not going to go deal with it. So God's going to go deal with it, right? Now, when you're dealing with conflict, I don't know if you've been in like management classes, there's four levels of intensity, right? There's the first one that's like, can I talk to you for a second? That's like when you're like, hey, can I talk to you for a second? I don't really feel easy about, you know, how this went down or whatever, whatever. Okay, level two is, I'd like to talk to you about something, please. That's where, you know, you kind of got a little bit more business that you need to, to work out. Number three is, I need to talk to you. Can we go over here and talk? Right, there, that's like, a, oh, yeah, yeah, sure, you need to talk to me. And level four is, let's talk. Right? When I uh, was 16 or 17, I remember my dad caught me looking at pictures on the Internet that I wasn't supposed to be looking at at that time. And I was scared about, you know, what was going to happen. I had a lot of shame. And uh, he gives me the, let's go for a drive. And I knew, I knew what that meant. <laughs> that means we're going to talk about what went down, okay? Here's God. He goes, at once the Lord said to Moses, Aaron, and Miriam, come out to the tent of meeting, all three of you. We're going to deal with this. All right, that's, that's level four intensity from the God of the universe. I would be a little bit scared. Right? Put yourself there in that level of intensity. So the three of them went out. And the Lord came down in a pillar of cloud. He stood at the entrance to the tent and summoned Aaron and Miriam. When the two of them stepped forward, he said, listen to my words. 
When there is a prophet among you, I, Yahweh, reveal myself to them in visions. I speak to them in dreams. There's interpreting. It's cool. But that's not how I do it with Moses. He's faithful in all my house. With him, I speak face to face. Clearly, not in riddles. He sees the form of Yahweh. Why then were you not afraid to speak against my servant Moses? Why weren't you scared? And that to me was like the most terrifying thing I've ever read in my life. That I don't ever want to go and face God on judgment day where I have something in my life. And he looks at me in the eyes tenderly and sweetly or angrily and says, why weren't you afraid to change that behavior? Why weren't you afraid? Why Why weren't you afraid of me? You know, I'm the God, like, right, it's a family of grace. Is there anything in your heart that you need to pitch up to God and say, what, if, what is it that I'm not afraid of that I, that I probably should be in my life? That's something I haven't given up, or maybe I'm afraid of man, I'm not afraid of you enough, whatever it may be. But we've got to be careful here as a church group, right, that we don't take God lightly, and we don't take him uh like he's every other thing, right? We've been going through how holy he is over and over and over for the past year. And the anger of Yahweh burned against them and he left. And when the cloud lifted up from above the tent, Miriam's skin was leprous. There's his punishment. It became as white as snow. Aaron turned toward her, saw that she had defiling skin disease, and he said to Moses, please, my Lord, I ask you not to hold against us the sin we have so foolishly committed. Do not let her be like a stillborn infant coming from his mother's womb with its flesh half eaten away. And so here again, Moses is so meek. He doesn't give the, finally, ha, I told you so. Nope, he goes and intercedes on their behalf. They just sinned against him, and he intercedes on their behalf. God, please heal her. And the Lord replied to Moses, if her father had spit in her face, would she not have been in disgrace for seven days? This is like a euphemism of the time where a, a, a father would spit on the ground or spit at their kid. And that, based on Jewish law, that immediately made them unclean for seven days. So what God is saying is, I'm a dad who's displeased with my child. This is the equivalent, me giving her leprosy is the equivalent of me spitting in the ground in front of her or spitting in her face. You're going to have to wait seven days. That's her punishment. Seven days outcast. That's all he's saying. He's not, you know, I don't know if there's, I just, I was confused by that. That's what that means. Okay. Confine her in outside camp for seven days. After that, she can be brought back. So Miriam was confined outside the camp for seven days. The people did not move on until she was brought back. After that, the people left Hazaroth and encamped in the desert of Paran. Okay, so we're done with three rebellions. We're two chapters into the rebellion chapters. The rebellion chapters are 11 to 25, and we just finished chapter 12. We have a lot more rebellions to go. All right, so what do we do when we're looking at a group of people just constantly frustrate, disobey, displease God, right? What in the world? All right, here's, I think, the main issues going on, and here's what we want to avoid. Dissatisfaction, complaining, which is ultimately compiled in not trusting God. Remember, God's primary issue was, you have rejected me. You're not trusting all the blessings from Genesis all the way through of, I have something for you, I have something for you, I have something for you, and they are constantly going, you don't have what we want right now. You don't have what we want right now. You don't have what we want right now. So we want to learn from that as a group of people and trust in God. All right, so here's, here's what your activities are for the week. Okay, how to fight disfat- dissatisfaction and complaining. First one is gratitude. When you, focus on, when you focus on your own happiness and what makes you happy, 
you are never going to be happy. But when you focus, you turn your attention towards what I'm grateful for that's been given to me, all of a sudden you'll realize how much happier you are. When you're not focused on your own happiness, it's this like weird paradox, right? If you chase happiness, you're never going to get it. But if you turn and look at gratitude of what you already have, happiness is right around the corner. All right? So here's an old Jewish practice called Dayanu. Um, and that's this prayer of it would have been enough. Okay, so here's how, this is like a way of snowballing gratitude. Right? And I encourage you all to practice this, write this down, practice it every day. I still, ever since I learned about it, I still do it nearly every day. Um, it is where you'd say something like, God, it would have been enough for you to provide us with dinner. Right? It would have been enough for you to, to sustain me. But you also made it this delicious mango and you know, rice and whatever it may be. And God, it would have been enough if it was this fruit, but you made it ripe and juicy and delicious. Right? Or God, it would have been enough if you gave me a job, but you gave me a job that I love. Or you gave me a way to get to that job. And it would have been enough if you gave me a way to get to that job, but you gave me a car that is reliable and good. God, and it would have been enough if you gave me a car that's reliable and good, but you've also given my family another car, whatever it may be. Does that make sense? You're kind of rolling your gratitude on top of itself downhill. It would have been enough if you did this, but you went this far. And that would have been enough, but you went this far. And this is how we spur on gratitude in our own hearts to keep us from a heart of complaining and dissatisfaction. And uh, it's very, very valuable, especially if you're in a trying time. Okay? Now, so the first one being gratitude. The second one being submission, right? And this one is, is, is very difficult. But in order to fight, complaining is just putting yourself lower than you ought to. So it's something like bringing concern to God. I feel frustrated about my job. I feel very frustrated about my job. Nevertheless, I'm going to trust that you have me there for a reason, or nevertheless, I'm going to trust that you can lead me to quit and provide me with another job or whatever, or as Jesus says, when he's doing something he does, doesn't want to do, not as I will, but as you will, right? This kind, of, this kind of prayer of submission, not what I want, but what you want, or nevertheless, I'm going to trust you. Constantly turning, turning what you want to God is going to help you never fall into the trap of Whining, complaining, dissatisfaction. They have these on the edge of your lips frequently. All right? Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. That's what's going on with the Israelites. That's what happens with my three-year-old when I say, Hey, this is why I want you to go to bed at this time so you can get a good amount of sleep because that's healthy. And they get focused like, I don't want to go to bed right now. Like, but I'm, I, it's what's best for you. You just don't have the foresight that I have to know that, right? Do not lean on your own understanding, my own understanding. God has much grander things for us than what we immediately see. In all your ways, submit to him. There's both of those, right? Gratitude, submission, and he will make your paths straight. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God, and the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Now, the last thing about trust, and like trusting God and moving, to an, moving towards gratitude, moving towards submission, and moving towards trusting God more than anything else, 
is that it's going to be supported by action. I say this word trust, but we as Christians say believe in or faith, right? We trust God, believe in faith, and it's supported by action. And here's what James means by that, and then I'll explain it in my words. So he says, what good is it, my brothers and sisters, if someone claims to have faith or trust or belief in but has no deeds? Can such faith save them? Suppose a brother or sister is without clothes and daily food. If one of you says to them, go in peace, keep warm and well fed, but does nothing about their physical needs, what good is it? In the same way, by faith itself, if not accompanied by actions, is dead. But someone will say, you have faith, I have deeds. Show me your faith without deeds, and I will show you my faith by my deeds. You believe that there is one God. Good. Even the demons believe that and shudder. You foolish person, do you want evidence that faith without deeds is useless? Was not our father Abraham considered righteous for what he did when he offered his son Isaac on the altar? You see that his faith and his actions were working together, and his faith was made complete by what he did. And the scripture was fulfilled that Abraham believed God, and it was credited to him as righteousness. He was called God's friend. You see that a person is considered righteous by what they do and not by faith alone. In the same way, not even Rahab. The prostitute considered righteous for what she did when she gave lodging to the spies and sent them off in a different direction as the body without spirit is dead, so faith without deeds is dead. Here's what that's saying. In our, in our Western American mindset, we've got this notion that trusting God or believing God is simply acknowledging that mentally that that's something true, right? It's like as long as I believe Jesus was God and that's a true thing, like, that's belief, and we're terrified of saying, oh, work saves you. Like, doing good work saves you, good, doing good deeds. We're terrified of that. What James is trying to say is that you can't take those two things away from each other. In other words, now, this is just an, an analogy, right? But I'm, so don't freak out when I say this. But if I said something like, there's a bomb in this room, now, I would know whether you believe me or not, right? If you just said, oh, I, 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 cognitively understand what a bomb is and I cognitively understand what it can do yeah okay sure and then you stayed in your seat my argument would be you don't actually believe me but actual belief would be I'm gonna run does that make sense so James is saying look if you believe something to be true there is an action tied to it and that's impossible to separate there's no belief belief by just saying oh I think that's true like demons do that they're not on God's team. They, they understand who he is, but they don't have action that submits to God and trusts God and actually follows God with action that is pleasing to God. Does that make sense? Okay, so how do we go the route away from what the Israelites did? Right? We chase gratitude, Dianu, right, over and over where we uh, say it would have been enough if we submit, not my way, but your way. And then we look at action, like, what can I do that proves what I believe? What is there that actually proves what I believe? So that way I don't get caught in the trap of, yeah, 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 that's true. I believe that about you. That's good enough. It's not. It's, it takes action that's tied to that belief, and that's what proves it's true in, in it of itself, all right? So may we be a people who trust God, have faith in Jesus, his son, who is our example. We, we believe him, not just say, oh, Jesus, I believe you're God. But what does it mean to love Jesus with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength? To love our neighbor as ourselves, To love Jesus Christ and chase after him. What do we need to give up? What do we need to fear that we're not fearing enough? May we go this week 
trusting God, fearing God, and being grateful for all the things he's done in our life. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you're a better God than we are. Because I know if I was God in that situation with the Israelites, I would be far less patient and far less kind and far less loving. With that much rebellion, I would do far worse things than the mercy that you showed on them and the constant mercy you show on us. You're a good God. You're a better God than we could ever be. And for any of us in this room that are still trying to be our own God, living our own way, making our own decisions because we think we know what's best in our life, I pray that you would show them today, this week, right now, how much better of a God you are than they are. And that we would turn and follow you and submit to your will because it's for our good. Pray that we would trust you. There's one day that you're coming back. You're going to come back. In the meantime, we'll wait, and we'll be like you as we wait. Help us to trust you. You are coming back one day. We love you, God. In Jesus' name, amen.